without further ado, let's announce tonight's topic. So tonight's topic is behind the mask. So here's what I think. What I think is that, you know, most of us, I think all of us are pretty familiar with the story of Purim, right? You got the villain, you got the heroes, you have the drama, you have the threat, you have the salvation, as others might reference it, as others might refer to it, they try to kill us, we won, let's eat. And thus we have Hamantash to this very day. That's a wonderful thing. But there's a lot more to the holiday of Purim. There's a lot more than meets the eye. Tonight's session is all about the deeper story of Purim. We go behind the mask. You know, we wear masks on the holiday, we get dressed up, costumes. There's a lot that happens beneath the surface. And so I'd like to welcome our very special guest presenter, Mrs. Becky Miller, live from Atlanta, Georgia, to share with us insights into the holiday. Uh, Mrs. Miller is a renowned teacher of Judaism. She's taught in many different contexts. She's done uh, sessions for us as well. Um, we did one, I'm trying to remember when it was, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, a year and a half ago-ish. So... Mrs. Miller, it is great to have you back, and we are super excited to hear uh, insights into the holiday. So without further ado, a round warm of applause, I mean, a round welcome. Yeah, a warm welcome, try that again. a warm welcome. Mrs. Becky Miller, please take it away. Thank you, thank you. Welcome to all of you. Couldn't be teaching if you weren't here, so thank you for being here. And a special hello to my mother, um, zooming in from New York. Nice to see you there. Um, all right. So Ari, you said it all. What's behind the mask? And that's the whole story of Purim is understanding what is behind, what is going on beneath the surface in the story. And of course, in life, right? Because everything in Torah is to teach us something. So what really happened there? And I just want to give you a warning. This class will completely turn upside down how you approach life. Get it? Just in time for Purim, we turn everything upside down. Vinahapahu. So just in time for Purim, we're gonna turn everything upside down and look at life in a whole different way. So I'd like to begin with the classic um, two boats and a helicopter story. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. My mother loves this story. Um, so the classic story, I'm sure somebody here could say it better than me, but the idea is, is that there's a, a hurricane, a flood coming to town and everybody is leaving and, um, and everyone's saying, get out, get out. And this one guy is like, uh, -uh as the water's coming up higher and higher, he's like, mm -mm, I'm not leaving. God is going to save me. And sure enough, the water gets higher and higher and higher and he climbs to the attic and a boat comes by and says come I'm getting the last people out of town come on the boat and he says no I'm not going anywhere God will save me and it gets higher and higher and he climbs onto the roof and another a bigger boat uh, who's there to rescue him comes and says get on get on we're, we're gonna save you we're helping you and he's like uh, -uh God's gonna save me and a little while later, it's getting higher and higher. And but he's in complete trust, you know, Zen. <laughs> and um, and a helicopter comes and throws down a rope and says, we're here to save you. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want your help. God will save me. 
So hopefully at the end of tonight, we'll understand this, uh, whatever you want to call it, story, joke, parable in a whole new light. Uh, so a fun fact about the Megillah. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you, can you guys take a guess? Um, is it okay that this is interactive, Ari, or does it need to be just, okay, good. I love interactive. So <laughs> who can guess how many times God's name is written in the book of Esther? The Megillah, the book of Esther. Zero. <laughs> Very good. I was hoping to have like some like, oh, you know, 20, 30, 40, you know, but zero is the answer. Absolutely. That God's name is not mentioned once, not even once in the entire book of Esther. How can it possibly be included in Tanakh, which is Torah Nevi'im Kisuvim? The Megillah Esther is part of um, Kesuvim, which is Torah Shabbat It's the written Torah. It's the written uh, Torah, and it's God's holy work, you know? And yet, it's holy scripture, if you call it. No mention of God. No written, you know, not once is God's name written. In fact, it is the only book in Tanakh. Um, in the written Torah that does not contain God's name. Now, I actually came across a very interesting technical answer for this, but we're not going to stop here. I'm warning you. Okay. So the simple answer is you might say, oh, well, the Megillah, and this is a fact, was printed as part of the chronicles for the Persian empire of the time. So after the whole story, Mordecai and Esther wrote it down and it was literally, you know, published as part of the government documents. And if God's name would have been written, well, they could have, you know, substituted God's name for their pagan gods. And that wouldn't be too good, right? So better not to have God's name at all. But everything that occurs parallels a deeper, higher reality. And there must be a spiritual, deeper reason why this is so. And it's and it's not just that God's name isn't mentioned. And, you know, like we could figure out where to, where to insert it if we were to go back and decide to include God's name. It's much more than that. God's name isn't mentioned because, well, let me ask you again. Where exactly in the story of Purim do we see a miracle? right? Where do we see this is where God intervenes? This is the miracle of Purim. Oh, that's the moment. Exactly. See, the thing is about the Purim story is that it's seemingly a chronology of events, a flow, a story of one thing happening after another. I mean, it happened over a course of many years, but the fact that we can't um, that we can't point to where it is that God's miracle, you know, God intervenes, and oh, that's the miracle of Purim, and that's why God's name isn't written because that's not the story. So, the story, in a nutshell, uh, just in case. We need a refresher. So the Perm story in a nutshell, and this is really a nutshell because there are so many details in the Perm story, but we have the Persian Empire in fourth century BCE, and uh, the empire was over 127 countries. All of the Jewish people at the time were part of this empire. King Ahasuerus, 
In the beginning of the story, he makes a grand feast. In fact, he makes two, the second of which was for the people of Shushan. The Jewish people of Shushan attended this feast. Uh -uh, not such a great thing. Anyways, at this feast, Ahasuerus invites Queen Vashti to come. Um, by the way, I've got to say, there are two versions of the Purim story, the ones that we tell the kids and the uncensored version. So um, the, the uncensored version is that he asks Queen Vashti to come naked and show off her beauty, and she refused. And um, she refused, so Ahasuerus kills her. Of course, he's drunk, he kills her, and he regrets it in the morning, but what's done is done, and he needs a new queen. So he makes a big beauty pageant. Lo and behold, of all the people who were chosen, Esther, a nice little Jewish girl uh, with an olive complexion, somehow she finds fever in his eyes, she becomes queen, but she does not tell him that she is Jewish. Haman becomes prime minister of all the lands, and he makes a law that everyone needs to bow down to him. Of course, Mordechai, the Jewish leader at the time, and by the way, Esther's cousin, Haman doesn't know that, uh, he refuses to bow to Haman, and Haman is angered and convinced the king to issue a decree to kill all the Jews, and he chooses the 13th of Adar, a date he chooses out of a lottery, that's why Purim is called Purim. Of all the details of the story, we're focusing on the lottery. And Mordechai, upon hearing about this decree, it was public knowledge, it was gonna happen in a year's time from now. He, as the leader of the Jewish people, he gathers the Jewish people to repent, to fast and to pray. He wears sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of mourning in Jewish law. And eventually he come, goes to Esther and he tells her to appeal to the king. For what we, reason were you chosen as queen, queen, but to save the Jewish people? Esther asks Mordechai to gather the Jews to fast and to pray on behalf of her. Um, and so she did, because uh, going to the king was actually risking her life. And, um, and she hadn't been called for quite a while. They fast and pray for three days, as does she. And she goes to the king and he puts down his golden scepter. So her life is saved. Uh, she is not going to be have the same fate as Vashti. And she asks Ahasuerus and Haman to come to a party. By the second party, Esther reveals to the king that she is Jewish. And Haman's plan to destroy the, her people, the Jewish people, her people. And of course, Haman is hanged. Mordechai was appointed as prime minister in his stead. And a new decree was issued granting Jewish people the right to defend themselves, saving them from destruction. I'm curious. Who, where do you think, some opinions, where do you think the miracle of Purim happens? Where's the miracle? In Shushan? In Shushan, this is where the whole thing takes place. Yeah, what I mean by where is what point in the story, at what point oh. in the story is, do, do, you know, is that, that's God intervening there. No thoughts. Okay, all good. Because that's the thing. It's hard, right? It's like, okay, well, this happens and that happens. And okay, it's great. Thank God, you know, Astro was queen. So she was able to, you know, get involved at the end. 
But going back to our question, where is the miracle? And we do, in fact, call it a miracle prayer. You could just say, okay, so it's not the miracle of Purim. It's the story of Purim. But we call it the miracle of Purim. We say al-hanisim, a prayer saying that this is a miracle on the day of Purim. And yet it is a different sort of miracle than Pesach, the 10 plagues, Kriyas Yamsuf. And it's a different miracle than Hanukkah, which is an outright miracle. It lasted eight days. The big army, you know, that was defeated by the small and um, and more. So the point of the Perm story, the very reason why God's name isn't mentioned and the whole reason it's a holiday is to teach us this very, very, very important lesson. Although you may not see it. Although God is hidden, and Esther, by the way, Esther's name, that means hidden. The root word Esther is the same, Hester, Esther. It means hidden. Even when things seem to be happening, like an amazing series of coincidences, even when our lives just seem to flow one thing after another, Purim teaches us that Hashem is behind every step of the way, every single detail is the miracle. Every detail. It's not, oh, that's the miracle. Every detail is God intervening, God orchestrating everything so that it happens the way it does. And there is a term in Judaism for this concept, uh, which is hashkacha pratis. Hashkacha means to watch um, pratis means prat, a detail. So the idea is that God is watching. He's directing. He's, I love the word for me, what, what, um, what makes most sense to me is orchestrating. He orchestrates every detail because it's not a passive watching. It's an involved, invested watching every detail. And this is opposed to a general hashkacha, a general uh, directing of the world that some used to think, you know, this is how God runs the world by looking above and, you know, just making sure all, you know, all things are running okay, but not every detail. But the Baal Shem Tov of Hasidic thought came and taught us that actually every single detail down to where a leaf falls, down to a blade of grass blowing in the wind, every detail is orchestrated by God. And that's why, like we just read it, the story of Perm is so full of details and many more than we even said, you know, we didn't even mention Big Sun and Seresh and how Achashverosh had trouble sleeping and Haman barges in and he leads Mordechai and he ends up leading Mordechai through the streets and parading him and how, you know, Haman is then hanged on the gallows that he meant for Mordechai. I mean, it's full of details. And that's the point, Hashgacha Pratis. Prat, every detail is orchestrated by God. So we're not going to end here. I know it's only 821 because <laughs> this is lesson number one. This is the simple story. We're going to go a step further in a minute. But the simple, most basic story of Purim is that God is behind every detail of our lives. That we can't always point out, ah, here God's intervening, and uh, this moment is significant. But that is because God is intervening in every moment, and every moment of our lives is significant. And God is orchestrating every moment of our lives intentionally and purposefully. And it's our job to connect those dots and to recognize what's 
behind, right? Behind the mask. What's behind the story in the Purim story and in our lives? So Purim is like about looking behind the story. Where is God hiding? Remember Esther hiding behind the mask. And I'm going to take it a step further that behind the mask of nature. Now, when I use the word nature in, the, in, in this class, uh, it's going to be in, when Hasidus, Hasidic thought talks about the word uh, teva or nature. It's talking about the natural order of things, how life seems to you know, flow and happen in its own accord, the rules of nature, right? The rules of how the world works. You know, your parents teach you from a very young age. How does the world work? And, um, you know, natural consequences, right? <laughs> How does nature work? And if you want things to happen, what are the things that you need to do? If you want your teeth to be healthy, you need to brush your teeth. If you want to make money, you got to get a job. Maybe you got to go to college, depending on who's, you know, your parents, what they taught you, and, um, and all of that. So I just want to take a moment before we go further to stop, and I invite each of you, each of us, including me, to think about where, where we are in our lives right now, in this moment. Where are you sitting? Who are you sitting next to? I see somebody sitting next to each other, uh, two people sitting next to each other. Where are you located in the world? What? job do you have or not have? Who are you married to or not married? How have things turned out for you? What brought you to this moment? How did you get here? Because one could say, life happens, right? One thing led to another. I went to this college. I attended that party. I bumped into this person. and. Life it took its own accord from there. It kind of just went. I had this teacher in fourth grade who inspired me to be a mechanic one day. Whatever it is, right? What happens in our lives to lead us to this moment? Actually, I believe there's um there's a movie out there. I just love the concept. I won't disclose whether I watched it or not. <laughs> Called Sliding Doors. And it's the idea of a, the movie has two sides to it. A person walks in, I think, to a subway. Um, she makes the subway and her life takes one direction. And in another version, she misses the train and her ta life takes on a completely different direction. So without Jewish wisdom, without the Torah teaching us what's really behind our lives, that God is really behind our lives. It's so easy to think of life as it just happened, right? Which, which door did I get in? Which subway did I take? But to recognize that as Jewish people, we realize that God orchestrates every detail of our lives to bring us to this moment right here. So again, the simple lesson is God is behind everything. Okay, we good? So far? So far so good? Okay, because we need that in order to jump to the next level. And it's, it's a whole nother level. We're going to take it a major step 
further, much deeper. If God is truly behind everything, making things happen, and truly everything that happens to us comes from him, why work so hard, you know, working or everything in life? Why get involved? We should just be able to step back, relax, and let God do his thing, you know? If all our all the blessing and all the success and all everything that happens is from him, so why should we get involved? Why should we do anything? How does that work philosophically? How do we make sense of that? Okay, so either God's doing it. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna ask it differently. If a person is sick, God forbid, and he gets the best doctors around and he finds the expert surgeon for what he needs. And sure enough, he's healed. Who healed him? God or the doctors? If a person works hard, I mean, really work hard to get a good job or to start a business and they bring home money, they're successful. Where does that money come from? From his hard work, you might say. But we just learned, right? All the blessings in the world, everything is from God. How does that work together? You study hard back in the day. You studied hard for a test, you do well. <laughs> Why do you do well? You studied hard. Or God blessed you with a good grade. Very simply, so simply, you have a headache, a headache. So what's, what do we do? I mean, at least that's what I do. Not everybody believes in Tylenol, but I go and I take a Tylenol and sure enough, my headache is cured. <laughs> or I wake up in the morning and I'm tired and I decide to drink a coffee. Now I have the energy for my day. Did the Tylenol take away your headache? Did the coffee give you energy? So Jewish mysticism teaches us that all blessings, big and small, are from God. The money that we make, the health that we have or work on having, the success, and even the headache going away or the energy I get after I drink a coffee. All of that is a direct blessing from God. So then why should I work, study, go to the doctor, drink a coffee, etc.? What's our part? And the answer is, I was fancy enough to get you a slide. So am I able to slide? I, I forgot to discuss this with you beforehand, Ari. Am I able to share screen or no, I don't have that capability? Ah, lovely. Here it is. Uh, Okay, do we see this? All right. Um, oh no, I forgot to write where it's from. So I'll just have to tell you verbally. Um, Devarim, Deuteronomy 14, chapter 14, verse 29. Um, Yivarechicha Hashem 
Elokecha, Bechol, Maasei, Yadcha, Asher, Taaseh. Hashem, and <laughs> the translation, I, I did it a little bit um, of my own translation. Actually, no, I, I took this translation from somewhere. Hashem will bless you in all the enterprises you undertake. Literally, it's the work of your hands, ma'ase yadcha, yad, hand, asher ta'aseh, that you do. God will bless you in all that you do. So yes, God will bless you. Yes, blessings are from God. But God will bless you in the context of what you do, in the work of your hands that you do. God's blessings don't come free. You need to do. You need to work. That's why we do, in fact, need to work. As much as we, as Jewish people, believe that our success comes from God, of course, we signify that through giving tzedakah, recognizing that all the money that we have is truly from God himself, but we still need to work because God tells us, I will bless you in what you do. So whether that's drinking that, my coffee in the morning, finding the best doctors, making a living, doing what you need to do in this world within, remember I said it, teva before nature, within the natural order of things, the way the world works. Jewish people, are, we are meant to live in the context of the world. The way that the world works, we are meant to live within those bounds. But with a caveat, we are meant to recognize that the blessing, the success is from him. And it's a, it's a mind shift that, yes, we need to study and do what we need to do and find the right doctors and everything we said. But all it is, is, there's a fancy Hasidic word for it, making a keili. What that is, is a vessel. A keili is a vessel. God's, everything that we have is from God, his blessing. And what we do is we make a vessel. We make a vessel to contain, to hold that blessing. So if God wants to give you lots and lots of blessings, but you're not, you know, you're lazy on the couch and not doing what you need to do to receive that blessing, right? That's what a vessel is. It's a, a receptacle. I think that's the fancy word, right? A vessel is something that can receive. So we need to do to receive that blessing, but we also need to recognize that what's behind the blessing, what's behind the outcome of whatever actions that we take, God's blessing, God's blessing. Ah, so back into the Purim story. Mordechai, it says that he was Yoshev Bishar Hamelech. He sat in the gates of the palace. That doesn't just mean that he found a good hangout spot. He was actually a high officer in the government. So when he heard about the decree, why not just simply use his political protexia? Get involved. Why? Because he knew 
what was behind the decree. He understood its spiritual relevance. Because sure enough, everything that happens in the world is a parallel to higher worlds. A decree in this world signifies a decree in heaven. So when he saw that there's a decree on the Jewish people, he recognized there's a decree in heaven. And what do we do with a decree on heaven? We pray. We repent. We turn to God. He knew that how do you rescind a heavenly decree? Not through political means, not through his political protexia. You need to go to the source to turn to God with prayer and repentance. And this is why before anything, Mordechai gathered the Jewish people upon hearing about the decree. He gathers together as the leader. He gathers them all and he begs them to learn, to pray, to repent, to turn to God. He donned sackcloth and ashes. He didn't immediately take action. Only after recognizing the source of the decree and turning to God in a, in a spiritual way, right? Recognizing the spiritual source, turning to God, then, and only then, he turned to Esther. And he said, Esther, you were chosen as queen for a reason. You have a job to do. Now let's make things happen. But similarly, Esther had the same, um, had the same mindset. She understood the same thing. So Esther, you might say, was queen, right? So upon hearing about the decree, right? All she had to do was find a way to appeal to the king. It's good news. We have a Jew in the palace. In fact, why did the Jewish people worry? When they heard about the decree, they said, oh, well, <laughs> the queen is Jewish, you know, there's nothing to worry about. Remember how so many Jews felt comfortable when the president's daughter was Jewish? A lot of, I know a lot of people who kind of relaxed a bit. Okay, we don't have to worry about, worry about anti-Semitism for the next four years. We have, we have a Jewish person in the White House. So they had a Jew in the, in, in, in the palace. What's to worry? But Esther recognized what Mordecai did as well. That to make anything happen, to get God's blessing, to rescind this horrible decree, she'd have to turn to God first. So she asked the Jewish people to fast and pray on her behalf for three days, and she did too. And it's amazing, listen to this for a moment. Only after fasting for three days did she go to Ahasuerus? Now, hold on. To appeal to the king for her, to save her life, because remember, her life was in danger by approaching the king. So to appeal to the king to save her life from this, you know, <laughs> being so audacious as to come to, and we know what a fickle king he was, right? He killed Vashti for disobeying his order. 
And here, his order is generally, you don't go to him unless you are called. And she was disobeying that. So here, she's appealing for her life and for the life of her nation, the Jewish people. Should she go famished and pale or beautified? Put on lots of makeup, look all good, right? What was she thinking? What was she thinking? That's not how you appeal to the king and the queen. But Esther understood. That's the point. She understood that who she needs to appeal to is to God, not to Ahasuerus. Did you ever wonder why when she came to Ahasuerus and Ahasuerus puts down the golden scepter and he's all happy to see her with you, despite the lack of makeup, and she, um, a famished look, and he's like, oh, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. Oh, he's in a great mood. Why doesn't she go for it then? I've, I've asked this question, like, why, why doesn't she just ask them, why the whole shtick, you know, the perm shtick with the party and then another party, like, what's going on with that? Esther knew that it wasn't to Ahasviro she was appealing to, it was to God. And she didn't, she felt mm -mm, this gazera, this decree in heaven is not taken care of yet. There's still more spiritual work to be done. I haven't seen the tides turn. I haven't seen a shift. For all I know, this decree in heaven is still going strong. And this is not the time to ask Ahasuerus to save the Jewish people. So she makes a party, but still, still didn't see any sign. And sure enough, before that second party is when Haman is parading the streets with more honoring Mordechai. And <laughs> Esther's like, I see. Something, tides have turned. Something has changed. Everything is starting to flip on its head. And now that everything is flipped on its head, she knew now I can go and appeal to Ahasuerus. So back to this idea of the doctor, and God being the healer, you know, God healing us or working hard at work and recognizing that all blessing and, um, and, and success is from God. Why did she go to Ahasuerus at all? Right? So she recognized that if it's only about the decree in heaven, so they fast and they pray and they fast and they pray again. And then all work out. But back to our Pasuk, back to this, this, this verse that we saw, Yivarechecha, God will bless you in what you do. Ta'aseh, God wants us to work within the context of nature, within the way of the world. He wants us to use our political protexia, <laughs> or in this case, royal protexia, we might say. But first, you turn to God. First, the spiritual remedy. First, recognizing that it's not my political protexia that is going to repeal this decree. It's God. Now that I have my priorities straight, now that I know what's what, 
Now that I have that recognition, now I can go in nature and do what I need to do and make a vessel, like we said, a vessel for God's blessing to come to fruition in the world. So fine, the decree is repealed in heaven. God is ready to save the Jewish people. Esther, it's your job to do now. Now you can, now you can do something. So now she goes and she tells Ahasuerus and that, thank God everything, everything works out just fine. So the big lesson of Purim, we had a simple lesson. And now the big lesson of Purim is recognizing that not just that God is behind everything, but that because God is behind everything, because all of our blessings come from him, when we have a problem, or not even in terms of a problem, when we need God's blessing in a certain area, as Jewish people, we need to remember, take, in, take a lesson from the story of Purim, not to get too wrapped up in the vessel. So we often think we work very hard and we'll make a lot of money. And the truth is, we'll make a lot of money if we turn to God and ask God to give us a lot of money. And then we make a vessel and work hard in our job. Do you see that? So it's, it's both. It's both things that we need here. We recognize first, our success and our blessing comes from God. Whatever the problem is in my life, whatever I'm encountering, whatever problem in the world, whatever success I need, it's between me and God. So in that case, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to give some tzedakah, some charity. I'm going to do some teshuva. I am, there are a lot of stories about checking mezuzahs. A lot of people would come to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and say, I have this problem, I have a, you know, a health issue. And he'd say, have you checked your mezuzahs? And so they checked the spiritual remedy first because it's the recognition that the remedy will be spiritual. The remedy will be from God. And then once I have that perspective clear, I have that recognition clear, then I can do whatever I need to do in accordance with the way of the world, the way of the world, the nature, do what I need to do. I find a doctor, I find a therapist, I job hunt, I drink my coffee, I take my Tylenol, but recognizing that the blessing and the success comes from God. So this, my friends, is a major perspective shift. I think we call it a paradigm shift. The costumes, the masks on Purim are there to remind us that nature, everything we see in the world, the way the world works is just a facade. It's just the exterior. And what is behind it all, what is really going on, is God, <laughs> to put it simply. So back to our story from the hurricane, from the flood. Of course, God was saving him, right? I missed the end of the story. The end of the story, right, is he, he comes to heaven. He dies. Sure enough, he dies. 
And he says, God, why didn't you save me? And God says, I did. I sent, I sent two boats and a helicopter and yet you didn't, you didn't take it. So yes, God is saving us and God is the one who saves us and God is the one who gives us blessing, but we also have to take the boat, right? We have to do what we need to do. I'm thinking of the Chabad um, emissaries, the Shluchim in, in Ukraine who stayed they stayed in Ukraine, even in the beginning, in those first few days when things were, when, when the war was, when it was starting and they stayed and they stayed until they realized it was an actual, it was an actual danger to their lives and those of their family. And then the right thing in that moment was to leave together with their community, assisting them, being there for them. But at that moment, they had to take the boat. They had to do what they need to do. So tying it all together, Purim is about recognizing, is about us recognizing that in Purim, in the story, in the Megillah, the decree was from God, right? And in our lives, recognizing that whatever situation we're in, whatever problem we find in our lives is from God. And of course, again, I... Uh, I'm sure we're all thinking of the situation in the world, in Ukraine. And apart, you know, we feel so helpless being here. What can we do? I mean, there are lots of people. I know my sister's involved in Israel, um, in a United Hatzalah, and she's involved sending, um, sending medics. They're going to Moldova and they're dealing with refugees there. And there are emissaries, you know, in, in there are shluchim in, in Chabad emissaries in Europe who are helping people, people within Ukraine who are helping. What can we do? What can we do here? You know, but the story of Purim comes to teach us we have what to do. We have what to do. All the Jews in Shushan and in all of the Persian Empire of the time, they are the ones who overturned the decree, not Mordechai and not Esther. They prayed and turned to God. They're the ones who repealed the decree. So, what can we do? We can learn from the Jews in Purim. We can turn to God in prayer and teshuva and etc. Think about what can we do in a spiritual sense. And when we do this, that is when the salvation comes or whatever outcome in our lives that we are looking for. Um, you know, the events in the Purim story, that's what happened. Uh, whatever it is in our personal lives that we need, when we have that perspective shift, when we recognize that it's coming from God, and then we go and do what we need to do, that's how that makes a vessel for God's blessing. So um, I love, because I already got the go ahead to make this interactive, I would love to think about for a moment, if anybody has some practical tips real life tips for recognizing God in our lives, how God is truly behind, right? Behind the mass, behind everything happening in 
nature, in the world, in history, in current events, and in our lives? And um, are there ways that, that we can really implement that, that mindset in our lives? So I'll just start with a few. And then if anybody has, has more thoughts, I'd love to take them. I'd love to hear them. So when uh, we have, when, uh, when we eat, what's a mitzvah before we eat anything? What is something we can do before we take a bite of anything? We can say a blessing. What does that recognize? That is, again, recognizing that, okay, so I have food here, but the food is really from God. God is sustaining me. And so I'm saying a blessing, recognizing that the food that, that I have in front of me is from God. Anytime, of course, we give tzedakah from the money that we make, that is recognizing, as I mentioned earlier, the money that we make is from God. Um, I know that... Um, my my father taught me that every time you go in a car, I wish I could I, I wish I could say I still do this, but I need to, I need to. That every time you go in a car, you give a little tzedakah. You recognize, you know, going in a car, you know, take uh, more people know about it. It's going on an airplane, right? A lot of people know this concept of when you go on an airplane, um, you give uh, if you know somebody who's going on a plane, you give them some tzedakah, you give them a dollar a coin, and you say, give this when you get there, right? And it's a form of protection. They have a mitzvah to do when they get on the other side or in general, just giving some, some tzedakah before you embark on a journey or talking about embarking on a journey. There's a special prayer for embarking on a journey, tefillah sadarach, a special prayer for when you're on the way because traveling by nature, haha, nature is um is dangerous and we want god's protection while we're on the go if we hear that somebody is sick we say to him for them every oh my goodness after we go to the bathroom jews have a prayer for going to the bathroom it's amazing and sure enough my sister recently had a um had a stomach obstruction and we were all taking that prayer very seriously this is is no serious you know it's a real serious thing that recognizing that our bodies functioning as they do in a healthy way is a blessing from God. Recognizing that every single time we use the bathroom. So it's amazing. But Judaism is actually formed in a way that we should be able to retain this recognition that we're learning tonight. All the mitzvahs, all the, even the customs that we have are there to remind us that God is behind everything, to remind us that everything is coming from God. So again, open floor. Of course, we have that recognition, but we also need to do our part, right? We also need to do it. So you give to Ducco when you go in the car, but you also need to drive safely. <laughs> um, all right, so that's the story. If anybody has some more ideas, practical ways of living, uh, with this recognition, I'd love to hear them. Um, I would just say uh, stopping to breathe. Mm. So, you know, breath—the Hebrew word for breath—nishima uh, is the same word as neshama. 
So yeah, connecting with your, your, your soul. Neshama is a soul. Connecting with your soul through, through breath. Beautiful. And taking that moment, right? Taking that moment to recognize, oh, my mom. <laughs> I, I circled the word pause in all the notes that I wrote. And that's this, this lovely lady just mentioned breath. That uh, pause also allows you to stop and smell the roses, to recognize the beautiful sky, to recognize the blessings in your life. And I was in Manhattan today and um, looking for a parking spot and reminded myself of the old joke. And I literally said, God, please help us find a parking spot. And in that second, a parking spot, a uh, car, lights went on, was about to move and then moved back and didn't leave. And I thought that also is okay, <laughs> you know? And we ended up spending $40 parking. But uh, the, the other thing is the Hashkafa practice that you talked about. I, I remember that uh, it was totally unlikely for for two suburbanites to get an apartment in Washington Heights. And it just made no sense. But we actually lived, we were moved into an apartment in Washington Heights one month before your sister was born, who needed to be in the hospital 10 blocks away for three years, as a, in the hospital for three years. Hashem arranged the, the miracle that was, all we had to do is that we need help, you know? And he arranged his whole thing without, it was all hidden behind the scenes, like you said. Anyway, I enjoyed the class so much. Thank and you, thank Mom. you for mentioning Ukraine because I, just when I pray in my own words, I just say, please help this, the, you know, um, as I'm sitting in my comfortable house, I know that people are suffering terribly. Help, help, please help, please help. Thank you, Mom. Moshe, I, I can't hear you. We can't hear you. Mm, still no. Hello, testing yes. one, three. Yes. Ah, okay. Um, so I think what I think basically you're saying is, is that while we have free will, we can do, you know, whatever we, we genuinely individually feel God gives us that space but what happens which feels like which appears to be nature is actually God God acts through nature God does act through nature that's exactly the point we need to take the action but the outcome is from God right and then and then so we expect we, if you we pray for something and then God grants the prayer don't expect it to be like you know some figure in a white robe and a scepter and a Everybody get terrified and try shooting at them. But it, we expect something, you know, like your mother was saying, though, all of a sudden happens to notice a parking space. Not mm -hmm. because God rearranged everything to do it, but he did a little bit with her brain so she would see the parking space. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes God is orchestrating all those details for us. But I like how you mentioned sometimes it's in your mind that you noticed it. I, um, I have multiple on multiple occasions lost something and really wanted to find it and kind of put it in God's hands. I trust you um, to, you know, and um, praying, trusting it's a whole nother story, but um, trusting God that I, you know, should find this thing. And, um, and what, what would happen on multiple occasions is I'd go back 
and look in the same places that I had looked before and all of a sudden I see it. <laughs> Happens absolutely. to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great point and great synthesis of, of what we learned. Anyone else? I see it on Sarah's face. Sarah, Sarah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. This was fun. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, this was a really great class. Great, I'm so glad. All right, so I bless us all to be able to live our lives in this way of recognizing that everything is coming from God, which means two things, right? It means we need to turn to God in prayer. Uh, we need to turn to, and even just in the recognition, even um, like, like you said, what's your name? I missed it. Ilana? Yes, Ilana. Ilana, okay. Like Ilana said, pausing, taking that moment to stop, to get in tune with ourselves, with our bodies, with our breath, and to recognize that it is from God. Um, but then also to take action and to work within nature and recognize that the outcome and what happens in our lives is coming from him. So I bless us all to be able to have this awareness in our daily life. And most of all, that God, just like he saved the Jewish people in the story of Purim, should show this an, a, a salvation for the people of Ukraine, Jews and non-Jews alike. Uh, and in our eyes, right, we don't, we don't see where this is going, how, where it can go, but God has a plan. And um, to turn to him with prayer, that all, all should be well. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Mrs. Miller. Thank you so much, all of you for being here. And uh, once again, wishing everyone a Freil Purim. Happy Purim. Don't forget tomorrow night, we have the Purim boot camp, another session on Purim starting at 7.30 p.m., both live in person at the Intown Jewish Academy, as well as on Zoom. You can sign up on our website, intowntjewishacademy.org. Um, Purim begins Wednesday night, continues through, through Thursday. Don't forget about the four mitzvot, hearing the Megillah twice, gifts of food, two gifts of food, to a person, two gifts of money to two different poor people and having a festive meal. Want to wish everybody a good night. Purim Sameach, Afrelechen Purim. And thank you again, Mrs. Miller. Take care, everyone. Laila Tov. Thank you. Thank you. It was a provocative talk. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that.